And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 21, Proverbs the 21st chapter. And as you're turning, yesterday our men's ministry had a, uh, had a, um, an, uh, how do you say this? We had flying. We all went flying yesterday. Look here with, with um, this is Mike McClure and his plane. And here you, st- you see standing with him, Brother John Gardner. And John brought his plane. Here's a picture of John and his plane. And we've got a couple more pictures here. Anyway, had a bunch of guys come out and just had, had fun. Uh, even, I'll tell you, Mike was so brave. He says, Pastor, are you ready to take over the controls? And uh, he was a pretty brave guy there. But we just had a super, super time. There's the, the dam at Lake Talquin. Uh, that's what it looks like from the air. And here's some of those flying aces. You know, they're just, they're really handsome flying aces. We've got, there we go. There's, there's Brother Russ Brayback. Amen. Anyway, thank you, Mike, and thank you, John, for making that possible. Had a super time. Well, we, uh, we started a series last week called The Blessed Life, How God Views Your Money. How God Views Your Money. And today, I want to talk to you about steady plotting brings prosperity. Would you say that? Steady plotting. Come on, say it again. Steady plotting brings prosperity prosperity. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5. This is out of the Living Bible. I want you to read it aloud and loudly. Everybody use your best voice. Here we go. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. One more time. Here we go. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Kathy and I had not been married too many months, and I realized that we were in financial trouble. You see, uh, we had always tithed, we had always given God the first fruits, the first 10%, and because of that, I think we weren't in worse trouble. But the truth of the matter is, is I was not very careful with my use of credit, particularly my piece of plastic, my credit card. Kathy was more careful than I was. And we took a look at our financial situation. How many of you know that can be uncomfortable for a husband and wife? How many of you know that can create tension and stress and can trigger some frustration? Well, we knew we needed to become more disciplined with our finances, but we didn't quite know how to do it. And we learned we were pastor, we were on staff in St. Augustine in those days at Trinity Chapel Church. And we learned that there was a, a, a financial planning seminar in Jacksonville on a weekend. And so we drove over to Jacksonville for a Friday and, and Saturday experience of that seminar. And we were taught some things. First of all, we were taught that for the next 30 days, we were supposed to write down every penny that we spent. And so, you know, I carried a, a, a little card like this in my pocket and I would write down every penny and I confess to you I didn't like to do it. It was an exercise in, in frustration but see we needed a big overall snapshot of exactly how we were spending our money and you know what we found out? We found out that I was spending a lot of money going out to eat at lunchtime with my buddies and I was putting it on that charge card. 
We also learn that I was a bargain shopper. I love to find bargains. How many of you know if you have to charge on a credit card that you're not paying off every month, if you have to charge that bargain on a credit card, then it ceases to be a bargain. How many of you know that if you can't afford to pay for it, it ain't a bargain, okay? That was a rude awakening. And so we had to, I had to start taking my lunch. I was taking leftovers, whether it was meatloaf in, in, um, in little plastic containers or whether it was a sandwich, sometimes just a peanut butter sandwich, sometimes it was nothing. But we started taking that money and putting it on the credit card and I quit getting all those bargains I thought were so wonderful. The second thing we did is we completed a financial statement, a, a literally a statement of net worth. And uh, we've got something there, Brother John, I think we've got a a slide, yeah, it's a little something like this. You can't really see it, but basically the purpose of it is to list all your assets and to list all your liabilities and find out what your net worth is. We've actually got some extra copies of this at, at guest services we'll make available to you. And uh, Kathy and I, we listed our assets. The problem was we didn't have many assets. We had just gotten married about six months before. I didn't own the car I was driving. My daddy owned that car. She didn't own the car she was driving. Her daddy owned that car. We did not live in a furnished, we, we lived in a furnished apartment. We didn't own any furniture. The only thing we owned was a television. <laughs> and guess what that meant? That meant that we were upside down. It meant that we owed more than we owned. And again, that was an uncomfortable feeling. The third thing we did is we were advised, we had this financial advisor we started working with. He says, what you need to do is you need to sell all your assets you're not using and pay your bills. Here's the problem. We didn't have any assets to sell. I mean, that was the truth of the matter. <laughs> then the financial advisor says, what you need to do is embrace some goals. You need to embrace these goals and these goals will help change your life. And the first goal that we were asked to embrace was, was continue to worship God with a tithe, which we were interested in doing. Of course, I, I talked about this last week, how, how the first 10%, the reason we give God the first 10%, the reason in the Old Testament they gave the first fruits and the firstborn is because the first 10% redeems the 90%. Now, a few of you believe that. I'm going to tell you something. The first 10%, when you give that to God, he blesses the remainder. When you don't give him the first 10%, then he can't bless it. In fact, the Bible says everything you've got is cursed. You're cursed with a curse. Some people wonder why they, they, they can't afford to buy anything. Every person I know that tithes tells me I can't afford not to tithe. God's always shown himself faithful. And every person that doesn't tithe tells me, well, I can't afford to tithe. Here's the truth. I couldn't afford to tithe until I started tithing. But when I started putting God first, God started giving me wisdom and God started helping us. And I think it was the wisdom of God that got Kathy and I to that financial planner to help us start to get out of this mess. So number one, worship God with the tithe. He says, and also in this first goal, begin using a spending plan. In other words, develop 
up a budget. How many of you know budgets can be difficult because budgets are, are moving targets. You may spend this much this month and you may spend something, another amount the next month and it can be frustrating, but at least you need to have that as, a, as, as, as kind of a goal, as, as a target. And then he said, you need to save $1,000 for emergencies. You need to have $1,000 in your savings account. I'm gonna tell you, that was hard for us to come up with, but we eventually came up with $1,000. He said, then there's a second goal. Here's your second goal. Continue to worship God with your tithe. Pay off your credit cards. Again, man, we're, we're, we're how many of you know, compound, the, the, the Baron Ron, Von Rothschild said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And banks have figured that out. And if they can get you and me on the wrong end of a credit card, they've got us where they want us, and now they want to keep us, okay? If they can get us on the wrong end of a credit card, then that miracle of compound interest starts working against you. And even if you can only give a couple of dollars, even if you can only pay it down, the principal down, just, just four or five dollars, you know, go to work doing that. And then he says, you need to increase your savings to one month's living expenses. I think it took us six months to come up with one month's living expenses. And then there was a third goal. He says, I want you to continue to worship God with your tithe. And he says, I want you to pay off your consumer debt. Consumer debt would be things like automobiles and student loans. You know, again, we didn't have, we just didn't own too much. And then he says, I want you to increase your savings to three months living expenses. And boy, that just seemed like it was going to take forever. And then he says, there's a fourth goal I want you to consider that continue to worship God with your tithe and begin saving for major purchases. Begin putting money aside to one day buy a home. Begin putting money aside to one day buy a home. A vehicle. Begin saving for retirement. Begin saving for your children's education. Folks, I'm, we didn't even have kids at this time. But even once we did, how many of you know kids bring their own cost with them? They're wonderful, but they're expensive. There's a fifth goal. He says, I want you to continue to worship God with your tithe. But he says, I want you to think about buying an affordable house. And when you buy your affordable house, I want you to start prepaying your home mortgage. He says, everything that you pay up and above your payment is going to go directly to the principal. And again, it's that miracle of compound interest. It can work for you or it can work against you. He says, begin investing wisely. Well, folks, in 1978, Jimmy Carter was the president of the United States. And interest rates, uh, inflation had gone crazy. Some of you remember it. We had 300 captives in Iran being held captive. And, and, and the country was suffering. And interest rates were up at 18 and 19 and even 20%. Kathy and I moved from St. Augustine to Virginia Beach. We were trying to find an apartment to live. However, the Atlantic fleet of the U.S. Navy is headquartered in Norfolk, Virginia, and they had rented up all the apartments. There was not an apartment to be found. There wasn't a single family home that we can afford. And we didn't know what to do. Kathy and I are living in a broken down motel. I mean, it was so broken down that the swimming 
swimming pool couldn't hold water. It had a huge crack in the middle of it. It was so broken down that it was one of those, one of those wayside motels where, where men and women meet during the middle of the day to do things they shouldn't do. It, it was so broken down that we didn't even have room service. I mean, it was, it was in bad shape, but it's what we figured out that we could afford. So here we are living in this broken down hotel and we're crying out saying, God, you got to make a way where there doesn't appear to be a way. And Kathy's father, bless his heart, we were talking to him about it. And he says, well, son, have you looked into an assumable mortgage? He said, you've got a lot of military people there that have VA loans. And many times those VA loans are assumable. He says, son, why don't you look into it? And we found what was called a townhouse. We were found, it's like a condominium. It was really a glorified apartment is what it was. We bought a, a glorified apartment, a townhouse. We assumed a VA loan. Remember interest rates are at 18, 19, and 20%. We assumed a VA loan for 8%. Now 8% is really high today. But I'm gonna tell you in 1978, it felt like heaven to us. We paid a whopping $44,500 for that first home that we bought. And that seemed like a billion trillion dollars to us. Wouldn't you like to go buy a house today for $44,500? We bought that townhouse. Our payment at 8% was, are you ready for this? It was a whopping $325 a month. We were saying, oh Lord, please help us to make this. You see, I had been, both of us graduated from college and I had been a youth pastor now, when I tell you how much I was making, I, I don't want you to get jealous. You promise you won't get jealous. I was making $150 a week. $7,800 a year. Now, I'll meet with you after church and tell you how you too <laughs> can make that kind of money. Kathy was teaching school, but when we moved to Virginia, she didn't have a teaching position. She was, she was having to work in a preschool at minimum wage. So our $325 house payment, it seemed like a lot. And here our advisor is saying, now what you need to do is you need to be paying some extra on that mortgage. And I'm thinking, and by that time, Terry came along. And bless her heart, she, she needed diapers, believe it or not. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to join a buying club. How many of you know if it seems too good to be true, it's probably too good? I got the opportunity to join a buying club, and I was told, you're going to need to buy lots of diapers. You're going to need to buy lots of children's stuff. And the, here's, here's the catch, and I just was so naive, I didn't catch it. Today, I'd know better, but... You've got, you've got 12 hours to make a decision whether or not you want to join this buying club. I'm going to tell you something. With Sam's Club, with Costco, with Walmart, you don't need to buy any kind. Of, you don't need to join any kind of buying club. Because I'm going to tell you, if Walmart can't get the price down, nobody can get it down. But we joined that buying club. Spent $600 that we didn't have because we wanted to have diapers for Terry. And Kmart was still open in those days. I could have just gone on up to Kmart. Well, we had a sixth goal too. He says, I want you to continue to worship God with your tithes and offerings. And I want you to pay off your home mortgage. I thought, oh, that's great. Pay off our home mortgage. Here's what we did. There were months 
that, you know, we're scraping our money together to make the $325 a month payment. Sometimes if we could find $5, we would go ahead and send $330 because we knew that $5 was going against the principal. And here's the way we begin to pray. We begin to say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we're paying off this mortgage. I thank you that it is paid off. It didn't matter how big the numbers were. It didn't matter what we didn't have. We just got our faith start to working for us. God, we just thank you that we have all in a bound. We thank you, Lord, that you're making all, all blessings abound toward us. We thank you that the devourer is rebuked for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, today that this mortgage is paid off. When I bought my second house, I hadn't paid off that first mortgage, but I sold the house and I got another mortgage on another house. And you know what my prayer became? Sometimes I didn't have a five or ten dollars extra to put against that principle, but I did it every single month. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I thank you that it's paid off. I thank you that it's paid off. When I sold that house and bought my third house, I did the same thing. I said, Lord, this looks like a big old mortgage. These 30 years, and when you, you know, when you really look at the, the, the compounded, look at the amortization schedule. That's scary. You consider, man, I am spending double what this thing is worth. Bankers know what they're doing. But hallelujah. Little as much when God's in it. You may only have five or 10 or 15 extra dollars, but you go ahead and start chipping away at that. When I bought my fourth house, I said, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that we have all in a bound. I thank you by faith that this thing is paid off in Jesus' mighty name. Now, dear ones, today, Kathy and I live in a beautiful home. We live in a beautiful neighborhood, but we didn't start off in a beautiful home. We didn't start off in a beautiful neighborhood. We started off in a broken down hotel with a swimming pool that had a, a big crack down the middle that didn't even have room service. We, 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 we started off in one of those places that you really wouldn't want to go into. We started off sleeping on one of those beds that you had to check for fleas and ticks most nights. But dear ones, when you got a plan, you got to work your plan. There's a seventh goal. Worship God with your tithe and fund your retirement and be generous with time and money. And honestly, I, I think we just put be generous with your time and money. That should be on every single stage of life. Now here's the deal. Everybody look at me. I want you to hear me. Kathy and I knew that if we were going to work these goals, and this was actually from Crown Financial Ministries. We got in on the ground floor. Some of you remember a man named Larry Burkett. He started Crown Financial Ministries. We got in on the ground floor, one of their very first seminars we went to. And we realized, we looked at, our, at each other. We sat on that, on that sofa. Remember, we were living in a furnished apartment in, in, in uh, St. Augustine. And we sat on that furnished apartment. It was, that sofa was green. You remember that thing, Kathy? We sat on that green sofa and we looked at each other. And we said, this is going to take a long, long, long Time. It's going to require effort. It's going to require discipline. And dear ones, if I'm honest with you, I tell you, there were times and there were seasons that we got frustrated with it. There were times and seasons because I'm going to tell you something. You say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to budget for this and I'm going to budget for that. But there are always things come along that you didn't budget for. Children are one of those things you don't budget for. New tires are one of those things you don't always budget for. Car repairs are some of those things you don't always budget for. 
Losing your health is one of those things you don't always budget for. And dear ones, you can get weary. But the Bible says, Do be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. Okay, we're talking about, we're talking about how if you'll keep on plotting, you'll come to a place of prosperity. Here's the deal. We got frustrated, but we never gave up on our goals. In fact, we're still, it's the truth of the matter, we're still working on our goals. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, steady plotting brings prosperity, but hasty speculation brings poverty. And in the Hebrew, that the, the imagery there of steady plotting is somebody that's got a great big barrel. And beside that great big empty barrel is a pile of of grain and they're filling up their palm with grain and they're putting it in that big empty barrel how long will it take one palm at a hand at a time taking a palmful of grain and putting it in that barrel how long is it going to take a long everybody come on say it. it's going to be a long long time you know Maybe like Kathy and I, maybe you've been through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. Maybe, maybe you've been through Crown Financial Ministries. Maybe you said, well, I tried that and it, just, it was just frustrating. Well, here's the thing about it. I want to applaud you because at least you tried it. I've had people come up and say, well, I don't like, you know, in fact, look, here's, here's the curriculum for Financial Peace University. Brother Mike McClure is actually going to be teaching it for us in February, Okay. Now, you can plan now to be a part of it. But I've had people come to me and say, you know, I don't like financial. I don't like the plan for Financial Peace University. I don't like the plan for Crown Financial Ministries. Okay. What's your plan? If you don't have a plan, I like my plan better than your plan. Let me share with you seven biblical principles about money, seven biblical principles about money. Number one, how you handle money impacts the closeness of your relationship with Jesus. Did you see that? How you handle money is gonna impact the closeness of your relationship with Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 11. So if you have not been, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? Have you ever asked yourself, what are the true riches he's talking about? The true riches is the pearl of great price. The true riches, I believe, is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The true riches are the manifestation of the presence of God. The true riches is the power of God activated in your life. The true riches is an intimate relationship with God. There was an old song called In the Garden. And it says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share 
No one has ever, uh, as we tarry there, no one has ever known. He's talking about the intimacy of relationship with God. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, I seem to have lost my first love. Could it be? I'm just asking, could it be that you failed to put God's principles to work inside your life? Because the more I act on the Word of God, the more I put His principles to, to, to work in my life, the closer I get to Jesus. See, the day that I read that I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church, that was a, that was a, a, a revelation to me because I hadn't been loving Kathy like Christ loves the church. I hadn't been loving her selfless, selflessly. I was loving her selfishly. And I had to say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to put this into practice. The day I read, I talked a little bit about this last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, which says, husbands, love your wives and live with them in an understanding manner. I remember reading that thinking, oh, Lord, who can understand a woman? <laughs> live with them in an under, what are you talking about, Lord? Live with them in an understanding manner. And I shared with you, that's when I went and decided, I need to find out what Kathy's love language is. I need to find out what her temperament is. I need to find out what her spiritual gifts are. I've got to start celebrating her strengths and not griping about her weaknesses. Amen. What'd you say, Kathy? Amen. Okay. Yeah, she's got some weaknesses, but you know, when you were dating her, you weren't looking at those weaknesses. Man, your heart was skipping a beat and you were just as excited as you could be that she was paying you attention. And yeah, he's got some weaknesses. And yeah, he sits around in his underwear watching ESPN and making funny noises. Yeah, yeah, all, all that's true. But he's got some strengths too. And if you want to have a successful marriage, you better major on your mate's strengths and not their weaknesses. You better talk about their strengths and not their weaknesses because chances are you're strong where they're weak and they're strong where you're weak. Because you're probably opposites. Because if you both were alike, you'd kill each other. But you're not alike. So how we handle money impacts the closeness of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, here's the second biblical principle. Money is the primary competitor with God for our affection. Money is the primary competitor with God for our affection. Jesus said we're either going to love God and serve God or we're going to love money and serve money. Matthew 6, 24 no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money makes a great servant, but a horrible master. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Dear ones, when the Crusades were fought back in the 12th century, there were a lot of European crusaders who wanted to engage in what they called a holy war, but they didn't want to actually go and fight. And so they would hire a mercenary to fight in their stead. And because it was a religious law, war, the Pope decided that every mercenary needed to be baptized as a Christian. 
And the story is told that many of the mercenaries, as they were being taken under the waters of baptism, they would hold up their sword. And what they were saying is that I may now be a follower of Jesus Christ, but my sword is not, and I can do what I want to with my sword. And there are a lot of people that take that attitude with their money. They come to faith in Christ. They say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but you know what? My money is mine to do what I want to. When I want to do it, I'm in charge of my money. Well, the fourth biblical principle is this. God owns every one of our possessions. He created everything. He owns everything. That means that rather than being an owner, I am a steward. Psalms 24, verse 1. Read this aloud and loudly with me. Come on. Here we go. Come on. Let's, let's ring the rafters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you know, after the children of Israel had settled into the promised land, in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, listen to what God said to them. He says, the land is mine. He didn't say the land is yours. He said, the land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, God declares, the silver is he didn't say the silver is yours. He said the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And in Psalms 50, verses 10 through 12, he says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. I don't know why God wants insects, but he says they're mine. Now watch this, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Dear ones, when I realized that I'm a steward and not an owner, I quit praying, God, what do you want me to do with my money? I quit praying, God, where do you want me to invest my money? I began saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Where do you want me to invest your money? Because it all belongs to him. Now, we live in a culture. Our culture is forever telling us, say, everything you have belongs to you. That's what the culture says. Here's my keys. Here's the key to my house. I live in my house now, but I know that one day, I'm not going to own that house anymore. One day, somebody else is going to own that house. Here's the key to my car. You say, what kind of car do you drive? I drive Kathy's hand-me-downs. It's 10 years old, but you know what? It's a great car. I'm saving for a truck. I'm saving for a truck, but right now I'm driving Kathy's hand-me-downs. That's okay. I love my car. Nothing wrong with 160-something thousand miles. It's just going to keep on going until Jesus comes as need be. Amen? Amen? I love it, but I am saving for a truck. But here's the deal. One day, I'm not going to be driving this car, and I won't be driving that truck. Somebody else will have it. Here's the key. Here's a master key to this church. It'll open all 14 entrances and exits in this church. I'm happy to be your senior pastor. I'm happy to be your lead pastor. But I know 
that if Jesus tarries, one day I won't be the senior pastor anymore. One day, and I'm not planning on it tomorrow. Don't try to get rid of me. But one day, I won't be the one having this key anymore. See, the Bible says that our lives are like a tale that is told. Our lives, we're like the flowers of the field. We, we bloom today and we're gone tomorrow. And dear was the only thing, see, you didn't bring anything into this world. When you were born, you were naked as a jaybird. And when you leave, the only thing you're going to take with you is what you've done for the kingdom of God, the people you shared the gospel with, the people you've encouraged and nurtured, that which you've given. See, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Dear ones, when you bring the first fruits, when you bring the tithe, when you bring the offering, you're laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Are you with me this morning? Okay, number five. Here's the fifth biblical principle regarding money. God is ultimately in control. And even when bad, unexpected things happen, even when things get so bad, you don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. Even when you're not sure that you can lift your head anymore. If you will respond with faith and trust in God, he will make everything work together for your good because you love him before you're, because you're called according to his purpose. Man, if anybody had the right to get bitter it was Joseph. Remember, Joseph was a teenager, and his older brothers take him and kidnap him. They sell him to some Ishmaelite traders. The traders take him down to Egypt and sell him as a slave. And for umpteen dozen years, Joseph has lived in obscurity in a dungeon. He had a reason to be bitter and angry at his brothers. But look at what Joseph said. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 45. Verses 5 and 8, he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Everybody look at me. There are some people that have treated you like dirt. There are people that have used you and abused you. There are people that have kicked you while you're down. There are people that have stolen from you. There are people that have tried to hurt you. But if you put some faith in God, let me tell you what I've learned. He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He'll take what Satan's meant for harm and work it for your good. He says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And then we go over to chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. And he says again to his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Dear ones, there are people that have intended to hurt you. There have been people that have intended to do you harm. But when you're sold out to Jesus Christ, he'll turn it around and he'll make it to work together for your good. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody get happy now. 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's the sixth. The sixth principle that we find from God's word, and that's this. God is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. Abraham was going to offer Isaac at God's bidding as a sacrifice. And even as he was getting ready to plunge the knife into young Isaac's heart, God says, don't do it. And he looked over and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. And the Spirit of God said, offer this ram as a sacrifice. And Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh. God shall supply. Hallelujah. 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 Dear ones, it's important that we understand God's perspective about money because much of our life involves money. How many of you work or have worked in your life? Let me just see your hands. Come on. How many of you have worked or are working now? Why did you work? It was because at the end of the week, you were looking for some, say it with me, some money. How many of you have a banker that will allow you to work off your debt in goods and services? How many of you have a banker that will allow you to show up at his house on weekends and wash his car or mow his grass to get your debt down? No. You know what that banker wants? That banker wants, say it with me, money. When you go out to eat or you go shopping and you pull out that credit card, What are you doing? You are borrowing money from whoever issued that card to you. And if you don't pay it off every month, if you allow those interest rates to start working against you, you're paying a whole lot more money than that you may have paid $9 or $10 for that gourmet hamburger, but you're going to end up paying $20 for it in interest. It's about money. When you invest and when you save, what are you investing and saving? You're investing and saving money. It's important. Now, the evil one, the enemy of our soul, doesn't want you to know what God's word has to say about money. Because the devil wants you to be a servant to the lender all the days of your life. The devil doesn't want you to have anything. He came to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but Jesus says, I've come that you can have life and that you can have life more abundantly. Amen? Huh. God is our provider. Jesus said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. If you will seek first the kingdom of God, if you'll get a heart for the things of God. I believe there's two ways that we seek first the kingdom of God and it has to do with the local church because the kingdom of God, remember Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you and another place Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, the power of God is as close as my hand is from my body. And thank God when you're sick, when you're suffering, 
Jesus said, you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's as close as your hand is from your body. Now, I thank God for television ministries. I thank God for missionaries. I thank God for all kinds of ministries. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing works without the local church. Nothing works. No parachurch ministry. No television ministry. Nothing works without the local church. And let me tell you two ways that you can seek first the kingdom of God. One is work to bring people into the kingdom of God. Work to share this gospel. Work to minister to those that don't know the Lord. And to say there is a hope and there is a future. And bring them into the kingdom of God. Number two, work inside the local church to nurture other believers. Work inside the local church to serve. If you'll do those two things, I guarantee you, you will be seeking first the kingdom of God. And Jesus said all these other things, food, clothing, shelter, raiment, all these other things are going to be added on to you. We have got, while I'm thinking about it, outside at guest services, you can get copies of, of these goals. You can get copies of, uh, this is a financial statement. We'll give you anything we've got to try to bless you and help you, okay? So you can pick it up after church. The Lord our God, he is predictable and he's unpredictable. He's predictable in that you can predict and count on the faithfulness of God. You can count. Remember, there's an old hymn we used to sing, great is thy faithfulness. The just Habakkuk said it, and Paul picked it up in Romans and in Galatians, the just shall live by faith. Why? Because God is faithful. His faithfulness is predictable, okay? What is not as predictable is how God's going to supply your needs. It's not because God's not confined to just supplying your need in one way or two ways. For most of us, he supplies our needs through the sweat of our brow, through our work. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's pretty simple, right? So he supplies our needs through our work. But sometimes our needs exceed our income. And God can give you a raise. He can give you a bonus. He can give you a new job. You can find a check in the mail. You can find a gift and a surprise. You can find an inheritance. He's not limited. Don't try to tell God how he can meet your need. Don't say, well, God, if you just, just let this happen and that happen, then I know everything will work out. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need your help. He's very, very creative. Amen? Here's the seventh. Here's the final, the final principle I want to share with you this morning, and it's this. Jesus is Lord of the universe. He's Lord of the universe. Now, astronomers estimate, astronomers estimate that there are 100 billion galaxies 
just in our universe. Now, there are many other universes we now know, but just in this universe, there are 100 billion galaxies. And in each of those galaxies, there's 100 billion or more stars. Did you catch what I said? In this universe, there's 100 billion galaxies. In each galaxy, there's over 100 billion stars. Look what Isaiah said, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. He says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. We serve a God who created every single star. Our sun up there is a star. He created every single star. Some of them are bigger than our sun. He created every single one, every single galaxy, every single star that's here in our galaxy and in the hundred million other galaxies, he created them all. He named them one by one. Now watch this. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Dear ones, what am I saying to you? I'm saying that the God that created the universe, the God that created the hundred million galaxies and the hundred million stars, he knows you by name. He's got the number of hairs on your head counted. And he's subtracting for some of us. He's intimately acquainted with you and he will help you with your finances. You don't have to despair. You don't have to buy into the notion, well, I'm never gonna have enough. You don't have to buy into the notion, well, it may work for other people, but it doesn't work for me. You don't have to buy into the notion, well, it may work for preachers, but it doesn't work for anybody else. I'm telling you, God is no respecter of persons, and what he does for one, he'll do for another, but you can't get weary in well-doing. You gotta come up with a plan. You say, I don't like those plans. Well, come up with a better plan. I'll buy your book. I'll encourage other people to buy your book. But don't give up. Amen. God says, I know the plans I've got for you, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Bow your heads, close your eyes. All over this room. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Michael, just come to the keyboard. In the stillness of this moment, let me just ask you, if you were to die today, do you have the assurance in your heart that you'd wake up in heaven. If you took your last breath today, do you have the assurance in your heart that you'd wake up in heaven? How do, how do you have that assurance? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your heart that you are a child of God. Is the Holy Spirit bearing witness in your heart or do you have questions? Do you just not know? See, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says... There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to give you an opportunity today to call on the name of Jesus. Maybe that you've known the Lord, but you're not walking with him now. Maybe that you've known the Lord, but things have gotten distance. You've lost fellowship with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you lost a job. 
Maybe you've been struggling financially. Maybe you've endured some sickness. Maybe your best friend turned on you and let you down. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe you lost a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. Maybe you lost a mom or a dad. Maybe life's just gotten difficult. But today the Lord would say, come back to me. Come find your first love. Don't stay afar off. You can know that you know that you know that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody talking, nobody moving right now. If you'd say, Terrell, I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want Jesus to be complete Lord of everything, including my pocketbook. Just raise your hand and leave it up until I see it. Raise your hand. That, that's it. Come on. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? All over this room. All over this room. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? All over this room. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to ask Pastor Donnie to come. He's going to be standing right down here on my right-hand side. Pastor Donnie Thomas is coming. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and just come down here. And we're going to pray a prayer together. Pastor Donnie's going to pray a prayer with you, and then we're going to give you some literature, and we're going to let you catch up with your friends and your family that are here today. But if you raised your hand, just come on, just stand up. Come on. Everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. He never called anybody privately. Don't say another time, another day. That's it. Just come on. Come on. Be honest with God. Be honest with God today. Hallelujah. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.